0: Section 28 of The History of Minnesota and Tales of the Frontier Part 2. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Betty B: The History of Minnesota and Tales of the Frontier, Part 2 by Charles E. Flandrau. Section 28 a primitive justice. The lands west of the Mississippi River, in Minnesota, were the property of the Sioux Indians until treaties were made with them in 1851, by which they ceded them to the United States. But these treaties were not fully ratified until 1853, on account of amendments which deferred final action. But immigration was pouring into the territory, and it naturally found a lodgment on the west side of the river from the iowa line up to fort snelling and gradually extended up the minnesota river to mankato of course all the settlers on the indian lands were trespassers and as the lands were unsurveyed no claim rights could be acquired but the settlers did the best they could to mark their claims and gain what right they could by possession the usual and best way of marking claim lines was by running a plow furrow around the land. When the prairie was once broken, the line was indelible, because an entirely new growth would spring up in the furrow that never could be eradicated. In 1854, a law of Congress was passed, by which settlers in Minnesota were given rights in unsurveyed lands, their claims to be adjusted to the surveyed lands when they were run, as near as may be. Of course, this condition of things gave rise to many disputes about claim lines and rights, and as there were no legal tribunals to appeal to, we organized claim associations to protect our rights. In my part of the territory, we had an association that covered what is now Blue Earth, Nicolette, and Lassure counties, and most of the actual settlers were members, and all were pledged to support each other against any one attempting to jump the claim of any member. Protection, of course, meant driving out the intruder and restoring the rightful owner to his possession. The means of reaching the object were not defined, but were understood to be adequate to the necessities of the occasion. I had made a claim on the second plateau, back of what afterwards became the town site of St. Peter, and Gibson Patch, the sheriff of Nicolette County, had settled on the adjoining quarter section. These claims covered the ground where the Scandinavian College now stands, called, I think, Gustavus Adolphus. I was the president of the Nicolette County branch of the Claim Association. About 1855, the government survey lines were extended over our lands. And we had to adjust our lines to those of the official surveys as best we could it so happened that the established lines left the shanty of my neighbor the sheriff outside of the quarter section he had always claimed and before he discovered this fact a man designing to take advantage of the sheriff's peculiar situation and intending to jump his claim erected a shanty on his land and moved his family into it it was soon discovered and patch notified the claim association which immediately assembled and decided that the jumper must be ejected and banished from the county. It was winter time. A committee of 150 was delegated to perform the work at a certain day and hour. The jumper heard of it, and in the morning of the day fixed, he prudently fled down the river. Being president of the association, it devolved upon me to lead the party. We arrived at the house, and finding no opposition, we politely informed the family of our mission and offered them comfortable transportation to any point they would name for themselves and their portable belongings which they accepted we then burned the house and appointed two committees of ten each to chase the jumper down each side of the river with full discretion to punish him as they saw fit they pursued him for about forty miles and it was fortunate for the fugitive that they did not overtake him because had they caught him after 2 p.m., I think they would have been in a condition of mind that would have resulted in his summary execution. Of course, we thought no more about it, as matters of that kind were a frequent occurrence, but that was not the last of it. It turned out that the jumper was a mason of high degree, and when he got to St. Paul, he made a most pitiable complaint, charging me with destroying his home and with attempting to murder him. I was a small mason and was cited before the lodge to defend myself. I simply denied the jurisdiction and did not appear. I was tried and triumphantly acquitted. On another occasion, a claim was jumped in Sur, just between upper and lower town, and the jumper had a great many friends who rallied to his defense. The associations of all three counties were called out, and when we appeared at Lesur, we found about 75 Irishmen, all well-armed, camped on the contested claim, ready to defend it to the death. We camped at a short distance, and negotiations were opened between the hostile armies, which finally resulted in some sort of a compromise, satisfactory to the contesting parties, one of whom, the original claimant, was K.K. K. Peck, who was left in possession of the disputed territory mr peck laid his claim out into lots and gave each one of the members of the association that had come to his rescue a deed for a lot which we called a land warrant on account of services in the peck war but before we could realize on our warrants the government surveys located a school section on the battlefield and destroyed all our hopes end of section twenty eight end of The History of Minnesota and Tales of the Frontier, Part 2, by Charles E. Flandreau.